The following show is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. Our guest today, Richard Pasek, Executive Vice President over at CNA Financial Group of, and Head of Disability Income Awareness. So, Rich, we're in May. Um, it's been a crazy start to the year already between things going on around the world, interest rates going up, uh, things going on in the Ukraine and so forth. And every May, we come back to what's referred to as Disability Awareness Month. The reason why we bring this up every year is because one of the most important things uh, that people have that work for them in their life is their cash flow. You know, I always say is, you know, the definition of financial success is always cash flow under any and every circumstance. So all of us, you know, as we're working throughout our lifetime, we're saving, we're accumulating as we're working, we've got cash flow, we're living, we have a quality of life. The reason why we save for retirement is so that we have cash flow for the day that we stop. And the one biggest risk that we have to our cash flow is what if we get sick or hurt prior to retirement prior to accumulating assets, what occurs? And so, Rich, you being an expert in this, I'd like to welcome you to the show. So, Rich, great to see you and great to be with you. Thank you, Frank. And I was wondering, maybe if we start out maybe just by some statistics, which is, you know, we always think, and I, you know, oh, it's always going to be the other guy. It's not going to mm -hmm. be me. It really doesn't happen. It's a, such a small percentage. I shouldn't think about this. What's the reality? You know, if you think of somebody, they start a career, they start working. What is the likelihood of somebody even having a disabling event, whether it be sickness or injury? What are your thoughts? Good question, Frank. Um, according to the Council for Disability Awareness, which is a third party um, group that really looks at disability insurance and needs and statistics for all Americans, they say if a 20 year old enters the workforce today, there's a one in four chance of a disability occurring one time or another throughout this person's working career that will last at least one year. You know, it's, it's interesting when I hear you say that, you know, one year, because, you know, I've always, you know, done different seminars and, you know, we'll talk about, you know, hey, if somebody was saving 10% of their income mm -hmm. a year and they did that for 10 years. You know, one year, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You can wipe out a, yeah. a 10 years worth of savings in one year of a disability. So if we know that that's an issue, here's the question is, so don't they have different benefits in place that are going to pay them? In other words, you know, is, is it, do most people have insurance or, you know, is there, there are a lot of people that don't? You know, that's a good question. I would say most working Americans have some type of disability protection that they may or may not be aware of, such as Social Security or New Jersey, it's state disability. But the fact is that about 51 million American working Americans do not have any personal disability insurance and the state or the federal program through Social Security has quite a few holes in it we could talk about. So, so let's stay with that, because I think a lot of people have a misconception that, hey, if I get sick or hurt, you know, what about state disability? Uh, what about uh, Social Security? What about those mm -hmm. things? Maybe you can just take a few minutes and share with us how some of those types of benefits might work. Sure, there's a, there's a few things. The first thing, um, because it pays the, the soonest in New Jersey, in New York, which has state disability, would be looking at what the state would pay me. So it would kick in after about seven day waiting period. It'll pay up to six months only. That's the state disability. It's 
pretty lenient on paying. Actually, believe it or not, it'll pay up to 85% of a person's pre-disability earnings up to $993 per week. So, so here, well, it's interesting when you say up to $900 a week. So when we have, you know, um, people that we deal with, and many times we have people that we're providing advice to that have, you know, six figures incomes, 100, 200,000 or more of income, uh, that's a significant pay cut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At about seventy thousand, they're maxed out. So if somebody made seventy thousand or somebody made seven hundred thousand, they're going to collect the same state disability. And the fact is, it is taxable. It's fairly easy to apply, but many people are are declined after the six months. It will turn off though, and that's when they turn to Social Security disability, which the average worker that's on disability claims now actually only receives about $1,279 per month. That's the average disability benefit. So many people are under getting on, on, state dis, on Social Security disability. And the fact is about 70% of cases are declined so, initially. So, so it's a great insight. So yeah. you know, when we you know, kind of summarize what we've said thus far, uh, number one is it sounded like someone that's work, you know, entering the workforce, they've got a one in four chance if they, you know, mm -hmm. they're young and starting out, which is a pretty high probability. When they have the potential for a claim, the claim could be up to a year on average is what we've seen. When we think in terms of what's been available to them, it sounds like from what you just said, state disability, if you're, you know, in a state that has short term disability, will kick in after a relatively short period of time, but it pays for a limited period of time and that's the right. benefit is limited. 26 weeks and that's it and it turns off. And then what you just indicated there, if I'm summarizing that, is they can apply after that 26 weeks for Social Security, but most of the time those are declined initially. Funny, Frank. And it's that, also yeah. a limited benefit. Yeah, the, the percentage of people decline Social Security benefits hasn't changed in probably the 30 years I've been doing this, 30 some odd years. It's about 32% ultimately get approved. 68% decline rate, that's and, high. And, and really if you is. think of the frustration that you know, somebody's going through, yeah. the reason why they're applying in the first place is because sickness or an injury, so they're not feeling great. Mm -hmm. And then they're going through the frustration and the, the anguish of how am I gonna you know, get my benefits? And it's- um, And they just, get declined. And they get yeah, declined. And they get declined, oh, so man. it's like, that's when they they're end up going like to an attorney and getting reapplied, but only about 40, 38, 40% ultimately get approved. That's after fighting, maybe, maybe for a year. And, and so, you know, it's, we used to, you know, say, and we still say that, you know, the greatest risk to someone's financial uh, life is hubris. It's excessive oh, yeah. pride. It's uh, believing it's not going to be me. It's going to be someone else. Yeah. You know, well, that, that's interesting. Most young people, I, I deal with uh, quite a few young physicians that buy disability insurance. They're invincible. They think nothing's really going to happen. I think that's all. Them. Young and people. the fact is, eighty-eight percent of disability claims are a result of illnesses, not injuries. Only twelve percent of disability claims are a result of injuries. So in most cases, it's going to be you know muscular skeletal, skeletal cancer, heart problems, mental illness, or whatever. There's issues there that trigger claims that most people don't even think about before they're disabled. So if we went beyond this a little bit and we said, all right, so let's assume that, you know, we know what happens with regard to state disability. You just explained Social Security. What is the next level of benefit that people may have eligibility for? Um, and maybe you can take a minute because I know group insurance for some people is an option or they might have access to it and so forth. How do most group plans typically work? And do they work in addition to 
you know, Social Security good, good or, or what occurs. So maybe mm -hmm. you can just give an overview on that. The first thing, most small companies, you know, six, eight, 10 people, little doctor's office, attorney's office, whatever, probably don't have group disability insurance. Most cases. It really starts at the 10, 15, 20 employees. Then they may or may not have it. Of course, if you work for a big hospital system or a big company like AT&T or whatever, they're going to have group. But in most cases, even mid-sized companies do not have group. If they do have it, the facts are, first of all, it's not owned by you personally. It's owned by the corporation. They're the one that's paying the bills. They can cancel it. They don't have to keep this benefit. This is what they, they're giving you in 2022. may not be in place in five years from today. The next thing is if a person does trigger the benefit and they, they meet the definition, which are not the best. The definitions are typically not, most are not own occupation. So if you can do any work in any occupation, they're not gonna pay. And so it's harder to trigger the benefit. And once you trigger it, right off the top, the benefits are going to be taxable because the company supplied that. And they will be, not maybe, they will be reduced by social security benefits or any other social program you may collect. That's the, one of the issues. And, and you know, the reason why that occurs is um, it helps to keep the price competitive for the employers, sure. which is when they're doing it on the group, the reason why the coverage may be, you know, fairly inexpensive for them to put in place and not by the way and again not all of them do i see lots of companies and lots of people that don't have it is because they have the offsets for social security they have an offset for workers comp they have an offset it's for taxable there's no cola there's no yeah. knock there's a lot of holes in it but, but at least it is something it's better than nothing it's better than nothing but it's a full sense of security that a person thinks they're fully protected they may pay 50 or 60 percent of income as well they're not going to pay the 85 percent the state pays no way it's a great insight nobody you know, pays that and you and I have been doing this for a long time, and I, I would always share with people, I would say, you know, if you had an, a choice of two careers and one career paid you 100 percent of your pay, but if you get sick or hurt, you know, they're not paying. The other career paid you 95 percent of your pay, but if you got sick or hurt, they're going to pay you 60 yeah. percent or better of what you were getting on a pre-tax basis. What would you take? And many people will say, hey, you know what, I'd rather have 95 percent and have downside protection than have 100 percent and take all that risk. Yeah. We always recommend especially professionals always have personal disability, even in addition to the group. We'll wrap personal around that because of the holes I had mentioned. But in most cases, uh, for example, the small uh, physician office I mentioned, they don't have any disability insurance. They have to have it. It's like a really important for their financial plan. So Rich, if we just stay with this for our listeners, if they wanted to um, give some thought about, you know, hey, maybe I should look at this. What are some of the characteristics they should look for in getting a plan for themselves. In other words, they should speak to their advisor, hopefully mm -hmm. CNA advisor, a little plug for us. Mm -hmm. um, they should speak to an advisor. Uh, but what are the key things that they should be looking for in adding some type of a benefit for themselves or when they're researching? Okay, that's a good question. Um, most cases, most people don't even know to, wouldn't even know to ask this question, but they should be looking for something that ensures their personal occupation, their occupation now. So if they could do something else, so let's say looking at a surgeon, a lot of dexterity in their fingers, they're moving their fingers a lot. If they blow their finger off playing with firecrackers and can do anything medically, I don't care if they're an internist or, or, or read charts or whatever, they will pay full benefits. That's important to have ONOC. In addition, on a personal benefit, we want cost of living or sometimes referred to as COLA. So the benefits increase upon a disability. We want to set it up and we could set it up both ways, taxable or not, or tax free. We want to set it up personally 
as 100% tax-free. That's super important. And, and so it's not reduced by Social Security as well. So let me play back what it sounded like you said to me. Uh, the definition of disability is a kid, which mm-hmm. is how do they define it? You know, and you're saying the best definition is your own occupation. Okay. And you want to try to avoid, you know, coverage where it says any occupation. So if you can't mm-hmm. do this, but they go, hey, you could adopt pump gas, you could do something they're, else. They're cheaper. Yes. Yeah, you, we, don't, we don't want so, to offer that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it. some occupations were forced to look at that definition. Got it. Some of the more construction workers or, you know, I always uh, say the people that things. have a higher probability of becoming disabled no, have a more limb yeah. because the, their yeah. their risks are higher. And that's the reason why they limit their definition Absolutely. a little bit more. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the other thing is, and you know, this is just something that I would also mention is for our listeners is uh, one of the ways you can control costs oftentimes is um, through what I refer to as the deductible. How long do you wait before mm-hmm. you get it? Good question. Yeah. You know, so, you know, Rich, where do we find that there's a sweet spot typically in the marketplace to where, you know, it becomes more and more affordable and, you know, it makes sense? What do you see typically? You know, we typically see on personal disability, even on some group, a 90 day waiting period. The first 90 days do not count, sort of like your $1,000 deductible on your auto insurance. After 90 days, you're eligible to start collecting. It's much less expensive than a 30 or 60 day waiting period and a little bit more than a six month. So sometimes we offer six months, depending on what the, you know, the person saved up and whatever. But in most cases, we don't see people with a lot of savings, unfortunately. So we, we need to protect what they have. It's a great insight. And you know, one of the things that I, I like to share, because you know, I deal a lot with business owners and uh, when I talk to some of their key people about this, um, sometimes there's a misconception uh, that people have. And the misconception is, hey, Frank, you know what? I've been uh, working with XYZ company forever. They're great owners. They'll just take care of me. And I don't think they realize mm-hmm. that for a business owner, um, they can't pay wages to a disabled employee. Yeah. Maybe you can just take a minute yeah. on that to there explain, was- although they may be well-intended, yeah. First of all, they're setting a precedence. And if they did pay wages, it's not a wage because that person's a disabled, non-working employee. So it's called ad hoc payments. So it's not tax deductible from the corporation. It's declared as a dividend and taxable to the executive or employee. So effectively, an issue. that business owner would lose the tax deduction of that oh, you just yeah, said. That's, that's a big so deal. it actually costs them more to pay it and they're not getting the work for it's it. It's double taxed. Yeah, that's crazy. So, yeah. so that's the reason why, although they may be well-intentioned, they may yeah. not be able to actually do it. And at some point, even if they were trying to do it for some period of time, at one point, they're going to be like, maybe you should apply for state disability or social security to take some pressure off. And as soon as they do that, now it's definitely a non-deductible because you it's, triggered it's that ad hoc and, payment. <laughs> and yeah, you may not get caught for a year or two, but there's been cases of people are getting caught. So the solution to that is have a corporate resolution called a, called a qualified sick pay plan. And it states who will get what upon a disability. And that's when you can cut it off when, it, when it's time. And then we ask, do you want to, you the corporation, do you want to retain the risk, Frank, and pay this employee should they become disabled since you have this qualified sick pay plan in place now? Or do you want to transfer to an insurance company? And we suggest transferring it because who are you to determine their severity of disability? How do you know what's going on physically? So for our listeners, the point that I was trying to make with you uh, that are listening is if you're working for a small employer, they're good hearted people, 
um, maybe just helping them to address and being more formal around how they might address if somebody got sick or hurt is a good idea and having them sit down with a professional mm-hmm. you know that knows something in this space yeah and but, if you're working for an employee employer you're the employee don't think that they're going to be <laughs> end up obligated to pay you all the way until whatever you get they, better they, maybe 10 years they're not paying you eighty thousand a year or a hundred thousand for 10 years no way they're no. well intentioned and that's the reason why you know you know when you think in terms of the deductible some employers will go a month two months but that 90 days and so forth is usually where people start wondering and saying geez if i can do without you for 90 days you know do i really mm-hmm. need you yeah, and you know beyond that is can i continue to pay you you know and so that becomes a challenge on the deductible and side. if you paid me when joe gets disabled guess what he's going to be like <laughs> you paid rich let's go and then it's setting a precedence we, we want to avoid that that's a great a, insight that's a legal so, uh, problem as we wrap up for today uh, rich any other comments that you'd like to add to our yeah, conversation i want to i want to say i was looking at some t- statistics and so forth and just refreshing what i what i kind of learned decades ago i'm talking over 30 years and one thing i learned about 30 something years ago about disability is about 70 some odd percent back then of bankruptcies were caused by disability According to the Council for Disability Awareness 2019 numbers, 78% of bankruptcies resulting from a disability. That's amazing. Scary. The numbers didn't change, and it's scarier than ever. Great insight. So, Rich, it was a pleasure spending time with you today as we're in May and talking about Disability Awareness Month. For all of our listeners, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And, you know, as we always say is, you know, financial success you know, in our estimation is always cash flow under any and every circumstance. And one of the best things that you can do for your, you know, financial success is take risk off the table. Know where your cash flow is coming from in the event you get sick or hurt. And, you know, best case is, is, you know, check into what you have, speak to an advisor uh, and make sure that you're okay. And if you're not okay, now's your opportunity to do the right things in place. So again, Rich, pleasure to have you on the well, show thank today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And for all of our listeners, we wish you a great month. Stay healthy and well, and we look forward to catching up with you next month. This has been Frank Congelos, and you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Well. Have a great day. Thank you. Advisors of the Institute of Responsible Wealth may be licensed for investment and insurance products. The Institute of Responsible Wealth is an educational division of CNA Financial Group. CNA Financial Group and its advisors are an agency or an agent of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Park Avenue Securities is a direct, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. The Institute of Responsible Wealth and CNA Financial Group are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. 2022-137-507, expiration May 2024.